Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Wow, wow, wow. Well, after 203 days... I can say now officially, welcome to everybody online and welcome to everybody in this room. Praise God. It is so good to see everybody. And um, it is, uh, can I just tell you how uninspiring it is to preach to a dark, empty room? I just want to tell you, and I want to give a shout out to our musical team and our tech team. So for the last six months, they have uh, given their lives to Christ every weekend. They've said yes. They've laughed at every one of my bad jokes. And they have text next to the number on the screen every single weekend. So can we honor all the people that are up here? Yeah. And I want to just say, too, uh, welcome to everybody who is streaming the service online. And we want you to know that we love you. And if you're not ready to be here yet, you're still a part of the family. Are they still a part of the family? Amen. So we just want to say we know there's a lot of caution out there, and we know that there's a lot of stuff going on. And so when you're ready to be here, we're ready to welcome you, and I certainly want to welcome everyone who's here. Um, today, I'm really pumped about this. We are going to begin a new series, and we're going to call the series Come Alive. And uh, we came up with a title because even though we have tried to reset our expectations that this is not so much that we're all back, but that we're taking a step toward back and any step toward normal feels good. Yay, right? Amen. And um, uh, so we decided to name the series Come Alive because it kind of feels like in a way that we're sort of waking up from a bad dream sort of, right? That's sort of how it feels. A while back, I was spending a day in a bad mood. You ever do that? Uh, my wife tells me sometimes that I do that. I know it's hard to believe, but I was spending a day in a bad mood, and, and I, I hate when she says that I do that because it makes me angry, but then it validates what she's saying, and then we get it right, but that's a whole other message. That's another series. Um, but anyhow, um, I was just in this funk, sort of, and I was half praying and half sort of complaining to God. I don't know if you ever do that. Right. Amen to that. Okay. Somebody there. Right. And, um, and I, I found myself just saying to the Lord, how much I hate all that the stuff, all the stuff that's going on in the world right now. And I was just sort of reading off a list. I said, Lord, I hate what all this is doing to the world, to our families, to our incomes, to our sense of security, to the sick and the elderly and the vulnerable. We have all these issues of injustice. And so I was asking the Lord, I said, what do you want me to do in this time? You ever ask the Lord that? And I felt very clearly, God gave me a, a verse of scripture that is going to be the underlying verse in what we're going to look at in this series. And, and he just gave me an impression, and I wrote it down. It was the verse, it's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. I want to show it to you. It simply says as wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I have to tell you, when, when God first gave that to me, I didn't I didn't even really know what all that meant. You know, I was like, Lord, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm over here in this kind of complaining space and you're saying this to me. And I, I think that the Lord is wanting to say this to a lot of us who are here probably and to a lot of us who are online. And I think if we have that on the screen, can we put it on the screen again? Maybe we would read it out loud together. It's Ephesians 5.14. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Go. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will 
shine on you. And this is such a powerful uh, image that I want to use um, as an underlying theme in this series. So here's, here's what we're going to do in this series. I want to I be up front with you. I want to lay it up uh, out front. I believe if you guys will give us the space and give the Lord in his mercy the space to say some things in our lives right now that I think God really wants to say if we get quiet enough, I think that God will deal with some of the lasting frustrations going on in your life that you feel about you and he will bring greater clarity and fruitfulness in your walk with God. And if you don't think you have last, lasting frustrations with yourself, if you would meet me out in the lobby, I will point a few of those out to you. Okay, and I really think this is uh, something that God wants to say uh, in this. And here's what I want to say on, on the upfront, whether you're streaming the service online or in here. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do two things. Here's the first thing. I want to ask you to come or tune in every weekend in this series. How many of you are willing to do that? Either you're going to tune in or you're going to, or you're going to be here. Okay, Num- number two, I want you to come with an open mind to what God may say to us uh, in this series. Uh, earlier this summer, a lot of this material I, I was working through with my own covenant group. And I have, we have sensed the impact of some of what uh, I want to share, some of the stuff that we've been studying, uh, you know, I, I think has great power for all of us in this space. And so I want to call us right to it. And, um, and, and in fact, what I want to do, I want to give you two of my core beliefs that, that are running like an operating system behind what I want to share with us over the next several weeks. So really what I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the reason behind what I want us to look at, okay? And, and maybe you want to write these down. Here's one, all right? Number one, one of my core beliefs. You're never fully going to live into who you're created to be outside of a relationship with God. Now, here's what I want to tell you. You don't have to believe that yet. You don't, you don't have to understand that. You don't have to agree with me. But I want you to come with an open mind in this area, okay? And, and this is really one of my core beliefs. You never will fully live into who you're created to be outside of your relationship with God. Now, scholars, when, when, when we talk about this kind of an idea, here's literally what's going on. They, they, are, they believe that the scriptures have embedded within them this general idea that all of us uh, have the image of God that has been stamped into our soul. Like every single person, like everyone, like no one is outside of this. Everybody has the image of God that is stamped on their human soul. And, and, and it's oftentimes referred to as the imago Dei, the idea of the image of God within us. It's sort of like this when you think about creation. And in creation, you know, when, when God is creating, it says he did this and it was good. He did that and it was good. He did this and it was good. And then he creates humankind and he goes, and behold, it is very good. And that's the idea of the Imago Dei. And so one of the core beliefs of what I want us to uh, move us into in this series is that you're never fully going to live into all you were created to be outside of your image with God. And then here's the other thing that I think is a part of this. Number two, core belief. Your emotional well-being and your life with God are completely, absolutely interconnected. Your emotional health and well-being and your relationship with God are absolutely and completely interconnected. They, they just are. I was thinking about this recently in kind of a weird way. Um, how many of y'all remember when you were growing up, you would, it was sort of a thing, uh, and for the younger ones in the room, maybe you don't know this, but when we were growing up, it was a thing on Saturday morning to watch cartoons. 
Now, now you're with me. You've been snoozing till right now, okay? Now you're with me. And, and I, I want to make this statement. If I offend you, I'm sorry. Um, the cartoons now are not as good as the cartoons back then. They're just not, right? Can I, I get an amen. Now you're, now you're starting to wake up. I, I was thinking about this. How many of you all remember Tom and Jerry? Right? How many of you remember the Flintstones? I grew up on the Flintstones, Okay. Uh, uh, how many of you remember the best, my favorite all time, right? Bugs Bunny and his cohort. And there was this other, this other cartoon. It was kind of simple in its formatting and, and all of that, but it, but I loved it and it was Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? And, uh, Popeye, if you remember Popeye, Popeye was known for two things. One is the way he laughed. Can anybody do that in the room? Oh. All week long, I thought, I'm not gonna, I'm not sure I'm gonna ask that. I probably won't ask it at 11, but anyhow. And the other thing, the other phrase that Popeye, uh, or thing that Popeye's remembered for is a, a phrase he would say all the time. You remember what it was? Yeah, and it's not I am what I am, it's I am what I am, okay? And I was thinking about this because, uh, uh, in fact, um, this is what I was thinking. Popeye was not a sophisticated guy, right? If you remember him. He, had, he never had deep therapy. He seemed woefully out of touch with his shadow and inner self. He didn't have much education as far as we know, but we knew who he was. Here's who he was. He was a simple, seafaring, pipe-smoking, olive oil-loving sailor man, and he, could, and, he, and he couldn't pretend or wouldn't pretend to be anything else. I remember reading one time, Christian author Lou Smead says this, that the thing about Popeye that you have to love is that he owned his story with the classic phrase of self-identification. Say it with me, I am what I am. But what I think is really incredible about this is this phrase uh, connotes the idea and a note of sadness in his expression. And, and if you think about this, I know we're talking about a cartoon character, but it's interesting Popeye generally offered that phrase as an explanation of his shortcomings, if you remember. It doesn't anticipate much growth or change. It doesn't leave him with much of a shot at getting to be what he am not. He seems to say this, don't get your hopes up. I am what I am. And in his bleakest moments, he would sometimes say, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. And here's what I want to tell you all. I, I think in so many ways, and really what's been exposed in these last 203 days, really, is in so many ways, this is the cry of humanity. Sometimes we look at ourselves, and, and we, like Popeye, would line up and say this to ourselves in the mirror. I am what I am, and this is all that I am. And, and, and I, I think that if we approach this spiritual life in the right way, the power of change is actually before us. But we have to, we have to come to a, a sense of ownership about where we begin and where we have to go. And we have to understand the whole reason behind what it is to search out and live into a relationship with a living God. I mean, here's my idea, to say it more bluntly. I think if you're a jerk and you get saved, you're a saved jerk. <laughs> Doesn't that just explain away a lot of stuff? 
I mean, haven't you met people before, sometimes even in church, and you didn't understand? And when I just said what I said, you went, that just clears up everything. <laughs> now I understand. And, and I think this is really an important concept uh, with, for us. I, I know I've shared with you guys before, Soren Kierkegaard, who was a Danish philosopher, a theologian in the 19th century, he, he offered a phrase that just sort of embedded itself in my soul. I think of it all the time. He says, now with God's help, I shall become myself. The possibility of change is before us. But we have to know where to start. We got to know where we are. And we, get to, we have to know this God who by the power of his mercy and the richness of his grace can begin to move us into a new relationship with the living God. Change is possible. Someone should say a muffled amen to that. Amen. Right? And so this is the kind of thing uh, that I really want to talk about because I think the idea of I am what I am and I will always be what I am, I, what if it didn't have to be this way? I mean, what if, what if, what if the stuff that, that bugs you about you could bug you less and could diminish? I mean, is there any hope that we would live into the, the, the life of God and welcome God's presence into our lives and experience like lasting change? The stuff we keep tripping over? I, I, I believe yes to that. And, and so um, this is really where I want to begin. I, I was sharing with Jess uh, Stafford, who uh, directs our kids' ministry uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was doing my devotions, and I ran into a, a, a verse of Scripture. Now, admittedly, I need to tell you, as, as a pastor, and as even beyond just a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, um, I know that I've read what I'm about to read to you. I've read it a thousand times, but I never saw it before. You ever do that? Read something in the Word and go, where did, wow, where did that come from? And I, and I shared with her that I was reading in Revel, the book of Revelation, and I came across a verse, Revelation 22, 11, where God is creating the new earth. And this is what he says. He says, let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. And then let the holy person continue to be holy. And when I read that, I just thought to myself, you know, um, I, I tend to, in some ways, I'm as broken as everybody else in the room or listening online, but I tend to try to do the right thing. And I felt like God, by the witness of his spirit, was telling me in, in that moment, but here's the thing, Dale. I actually want more from you than that. What I want is your character to be fully transformed. I want your will to most clearly represent my will. I want you to be holy. And I think sometimes what we've done in our culture, even, even in the faith, we, 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 you know, at, at worst, we have the Christian experience going on that has no interconnection with our day-to-day -day lives or character formation at all. And then, then we have, I think, sometimes those of us who just want to do good, but God is saying to you, here's the, here's the wonderful mystery. I want you to be holy. I want you to be different. I want, I want when you look at you and when others look at you, I want you and others to, to see something that is not so fully right now represented in our world and yet so desperately needed. Muffled, amen. amen. Yeah. And so um, I want us to go at this, and, and so I want to um, talk about this in a unique way. I want to I begin uh, with Jesus, of course, but I want to begin with Jesus when he was tempted to be like us. 
And there's a passage of scripture that Matthew uh, writes. It's called the temptation or where Jesus is tested in the wilderness. And I think there's some things we can learn from this. And I want to walk us right into it. So let me read the text to you. It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, when Jesus was, uh, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. And so the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not even strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this, he says, I will give you. And he said, if you will bow down and you will worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God. Worship him and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and they attended to him. Let's... Let's pray together. Lord, um, would you in this space begin to give us a vision of a deeper life with God? Uh, God, in this space, open our mind and heart. Help us step past, uh, you know, inherited religion. Help us step past, uh, you know, ancient experiences we've had and move us into a fresh work of your Holy Spirit. For this we pray in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen. You know, every family has, um, you have kind of your stories, and part of the problem with being in, in my family is I share a lot of them with you. <laughs> and... Uh, one of the hallmark stories of my, uh, my original family, my family of origin, was a story that involved my older brother, uh, I think when he first went to school. And uh, we lived in a neighborhood, of course, and he went to school and, and, and he was coming home. And as I understand the story, a, a neighbor came running down to my mom uh, and said, come quick, Mal's in trouble. And uh, my mom, you know, you hear these words, terrifying as a mother, right? And so my mom goes ripping out of the house and goes running down the street. And my brother, uh, who was, I guess, coming home from school, uh, there was a dog that was chasing him. And when my mom got there, my brother was on top of a mailbox <laughs> standing next to a little dog that was like <laughs> this big. And that became kind of a story uh, in, in our in our family. And the reason I, I share this, and I think it's formational for us, is because the interesting thing I want to say as we begin is when you look at the life of Jesus, uh, and in this moment, this is right before he embarks on his, on his public ministry. And right before he goes into his public ministry, uh, he has this encounter uh, with the enemy of our souls. And Jesus is tempted in all the ways we are tempted. Only he made it through the temptation. But uh, embedded in this deal are, I, I think, 
the three dogs that we're going to chase that are going to chase us our entire lives. And we need to be prepared about it and um, because they get us off of mission, and this is what I want to point out to you. I want to give the three dogs to you. Here's the first one, dog number one. I am what I do. That we define ourselves literally by what we do. And, and this is what I would refer to if you're taking notes. This is the temptation of performance. And a lot of us right now, if we were to be honest with ourselves, this, this is how we've chosen to define ourselves. This is who we are. And, and this is one of the lies and one that the world throws at us. Matthew 4, 3 says it this way. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And, and our culture will ask this question of you in unhealthy ways all your life. What have you achieved? How have you demonstrated your usefulness? I was reading recently, it's the number one question men who do not know one another but are forced to communicate ask each other. What do you do? What do you do? I remember a few years ago being able to sit with a mentor and hero in my faith. His name is Gordon McDonald. And Gordon McDonald's had this incredible ministry, and, 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 and I, I was privileged to be with, with a group of pastors, and he was doing some coaching, and we spent a day with him. And now Gordon McDonald is in his upper 80s, and, um, and, and he talked about, you know, here's this guy that had this very public, very powerful ministry, and now he's in his upper 80s, and, and, and he started reflecting on what it feels like to be in that age grouping. And he said, nobody calls me anymore. Phone doesn't ring. And then in a real moment of, of sort of, I think, deep honesty, he said, so my wife and I right now are in this season we, where we are preparing to die well. And I remember being so moved by that. And, and he talked about, you know, there's, there, there comes this moment, I think, when all of, all of these things are pulled back from our lives and the essence of what we have created is before us. And, and, and in that moment, I just, I just realized, you know, this is for him. It's not any longer about, about performance. It's about being. And, and all of our lives, we're, we're going to be challenged to define ourselves by what we do. There's another temptation that I think Jesus lived into and overcame. Uh, it's not that just I am what I do, but it's this one if you're taking notes. I am what I have. And this is the temptation of possession and acquisition. And we see it in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He'll command his angels concerning you. They'll lift you up with their hands. You'll not strike your foot against the stone. You'll notice here that, that the enemy is now throwing scripture at Jesus. And here's what I believe the enemy is really saying to Jesus. Look, you don't have any of this. Do you want it? I mean, what have you done? There's, there's nothing that you have. And so I think in that moment, he was tempting Jesus, I think, to embrace so much of what we do oftentimes which is uh, the attempt to make Jesus covet, to build within him the anxiety and fear that we so often experience in this area. If there would be one thing I have seen and witnessed as a pastor more than any other thing, it's people who have, who have bought into this lie, bankrupted their lives, and then in a moment near the end of their life, 
all of that comes crashing in on them. It's a lie. It's a lie. And so Jesus, in this, these powerful moments of temptation, they weren't just moments for him that ran prior to him stepping into ministry. I believe with all my heart, they're, they're, they're pointing out to us what Jesus was going to go do battle for on our behalf. And this is another dog that we're going to face all our lives. Let me, let me just give you one other one, of course. And it's simply this one, the third one. I am what others think. And this is the temptation of popularity and power. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. This, I think, right now in our current culture is one of the emerging biggest lies of our day, that popularity and power represent the end zone of all of life's accomplishments. I don't know if you noticed a while back, Jim Carrey, who's an actor, said this. He said, I wish everybody could get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed and have everything they ever wanted to finally realize it is not the answer. Interesting, right? And so all of these things are, are the temptations of, of how you and I can maybe orient our lives, but Jesus gives us the truest sense of how we should orient our lives. And, it, and here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't happen in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. It happens right before it. And in Matthew chapter 3, we learn really what I want us to strike at over these next few weeks together and, and I would phrase it this way. It is, I am really whose I am. And it is the truth of identity. In Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17, it says this. As Jesus was baptized, he went, over, uh, went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the Spirit of God descending uh, like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Here's what I want you to know. Your relationship with the living God must start there. It's not what you do. It's not what you have. It's not what others think of you. Your relationship with the living God starts with his blessing and his favor on your life. And I, I think this is such a powerful thing. I, I remember the famous words of, of Christian pastor D.T. Niles said that at the end of the day, really, we're all just beggars, one beggar telling another beggar where we find bread. And he's right. I don't know if that's ever gripped you, but my prayer and my hope is that in this series, we're going to learn how we are. I think of it this way. I have a friend who uses a phrase, he calls it cogpow which stands for child of God, person of worth. All of us are children of God, persons of immense worth. And so how do we run at that? I don't, I don't know if that's ever gripped you before, but my, my prayer for every single one of us online and uh, in these rooms is that over this series, we're going we're gonna to learn what it means to be the beloved of God. I, I can tell you when I first you know, felt that in a gripping way, I don't know if you have... Figure this out about your pastor, little moment of self-admission. Uh, I'm a doer. Any other doers in the room? I, I, I am a get-it-done 
kind of guy. And, and so my temptation is performance. My temptation is to just get it all done and somehow find my worth in that. And I remember years ago when we were starting the church and, and you know, our church has had just moments of just this where it was like a rocket and we've had moments where we've wondered and all of this stuff. And I think it must have been in one of those moments where all of my, my doing was not, you know, all coming together in the way I thought it would come together. And I was away uh, with my covenant group and with, uh, we were, we were doing some learning together. And one afternoon I was um, sitting out uh, uh, by the hotel pool uh, where we were staying, and I was uh, reading a book. Actually, the book I was reading was the Ragamuffin Gospel. I would commend that to you, uh, Brendan Manning's book. And and there's this powerful moment in this book where where uh, Brendan Manning is meeting himself, a recovering alcoholic, is meeting with a group of alcoholics in the room, and he was trying to help them understand that God loves them, that that God, like with every one of us, whether that's your problem or not your problem, doesn't really matter. We all have a problem, right? Can we say we all have a problem? And 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 there's this wonderful moment where he was trying to help these guys understand this, and there was this one guy in the room that would, would was just you know defined himself as somebody who was far from God, defined himself as somebody who who didn't believe in God, and 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 they were going around the circle and they were sharing the story of their lives and they were reading. Uh, or they were sharing this, and I'm reading this, and this guy tells this story of, of how his years of addiction, just what it had cost him in his life, and he was sharing this story that how even how just the impact of that on his family, and he was telling this really difficult story about his family, and and he was looking down while he was telling the story, and Brendan Manning, Manning had him look up. He said, "I want you to when you're telling the story, I want you to look up. I want you to look us in the eyes as you're telling us the story." And the guy said, "I can't do it. I can't do it." And he said, "No, look at us." And in the most difficult moment of the story, Brendan said he had the guy look up and he looked at him. And when he looked around the room, what he saw was love. What he saw was acceptance. And that even all of these fellow strugglers on the way, each of them with their own stories, just had this moment of compassion. And here's what Brendan Manning said. He said, this is like God to us, where God manifests what he calls vile grace and indiscriminate compassion. And so I'm reading this story, and I felt like God just in the power of his spirit just just came on me in a new way. And I felt like, man, I just, Lord, I, I just want to confess my struggles to you. I want to be loved like that. And I, and here's the thing. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. I started to, I started to tear up. And then I started to cry. And there's this guy, you know it. There's this guy walking around the pool and he keeps walking around. He's going, can, can I bring you any? Can I get you a drink? Can I bring you anything? And I kept waving the guy off, you know, and he kept coming around and he'd see me and I'm crying. He'd come around again. I'm crying more. He'd come around. He kept asking me by the third time he came around. He said, can I get you anything? I was like, well, what do you have? You know, and, and, and this is, this is what God wants to do for us. Bring us to a place where we'd understand his vile grace. Isn't that a crazy way to say it? His indiscriminate compassion that you are loved by the living God. What if all of us went on a journey, a muffled journey <laughs> over the next several weeks and we learn what it is? to be loved by God in that way. It could change all our lives. Come with me. Let's do this together. Can we pray together? God, would you, by the power 
of your mercy? Would you by the richness of your grace use these words of mine and this time for us to come together in this series as something, Lord, that you might strip away every other thing that we've built our lives on that don't represent the firm foundation of Christ died, Christ risen, Christ come again. Lord, teach us in this new way how to love you and to be loved by you. This we pray in the name of Jesus, who is our Lord. And everyone said, amen. Would you stand with me? Now I want to offer to you a benediction and then we want to say, get out. <laughs> just, just kidding. Just kidding, sort of. And um, yeah. Would you go into this week knowing that you are loved unconditionally by your Father in heaven? And would you let that love impact the way that you love others around you so that his name will be glorified through the way that you know he loves you? Go in his peace. We'll see you next week.